I was worshiping tonight, I realized that that's what evangelism really is. It is worshiping God. It is worshiping God before unbelievers. Worshiping God to unbelievers. If you'll remember how the gospel began, the good news broke out on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled those 120 in the upper room. They began to speak in the tongues of the languages of men and angels. They began to run out into the streets, and as they were declaring in all the languages, it says they were declaring the good works of God. That's evangelism, that's worship, that's proclamation. So let's begin to consider that our evangelism is not so much a clever pitch in which we're trying to persuade and get someone to say a prayer after us, but is in fact worship to God. God is your audience, and those that you're speaking to get to hear your adoration of the Lord, your testimony of Him, and your praise of who He is. Therefore, there is no failure in this. Because that's usually the number one block for us to evangelize. We think, well, we may not get results. They may not like us. They may be uh, negative to us. But you know what? If, if our evangelism is worship, then the audience that intended and needed to hear it and wanted it is God, and where there's no failure in that. Amen? Amen. And so you can tell others about how good God is. Evangelism is simply proclamation. And I like this, joining God in the unstoppable spread of the gospel. If Jesus said that he's not going to return until this message is declared to all nations, do you think he has an expectation that this gospel is going to reach all nations? Yes, just as that word came forward tonight as when he said, let there be light, and it moved, so the gospel is the same creative power. When we speak it, it is moving throughout all the earth. What we don't see and hear is that the statistics show that Christianity is growing and growing worldwide. I know that our boat is sinking in America, but I want you to know that the gospel is reaching continents, countries, and moving with great power. Don't fear, don't fret. God's got a design for the land we live in, and he's asking for us at this day and hour to begin to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So we want to continue in studying and understanding evangelism. I've given you an outline. And if you'll remember, if I could simply review last week, we talked that there were three basic modes for witnessing that are essential for every church. Those three simple modes of evangelism are, number one, through the body of Christ. Church, when the body of Christ or when the people of God come together, that is a witness to the world. If we would come together in unity and in power, we will show a witness to the world. On Sundays, when we gather together, on Wednesdays, when we gather together, whatever night you gather together, and when the people of God come and worship the Lord, that is a witness and an evangelism to the people of this world. All right? Secondly is lifestyle evangelism. You just worshiping God in your daily activities. And I'm not talking about singing. I'm talking about offering your body as a living sacrifice. Whatever you need to do, whatever you do in worship to God, to praise Him, to help others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and others as yourself. There's the fulfillment of the law. That's the testimony of Jesus, right? I mean, you were working at work and you were able to bend over and there's the testimony of God's healing in your life and you can share it so easily. 
You were driving in your car and there's an accident and God called you in to pray and intercede and there's the testimony and proclamation of the gospel. It's happening in all of our lives daily. So the body meets together, that's a testimony. Don't forsake the assembling together to spur each other on. We need this. That's one witness. The second, lifestyle, your daily activities of witnessing for Christ. And thirdly is intentional witnessing. Deliberate and intentionally setting out to say, I'm going to declare the gospel to this person or I'm going to present it to that person. It's targeted, it's intentional, and you speak directly to them for the sake of the gospel. With those three modes of evangelism in the church, a church should be healthy and bringing people in. Bringing people in. Because that three-pronged approach, the church is assembling, and because your lifestyle at work or at home has attracted someone and you intentionally spoke or invited them into the assembly, will cause them to come near to God. Amen? That's what we want to do in this church. We want to utilize and develop these areas in our lives. Continuing to meet, uh, continuing to have a lifestyle evangelism, and an intentional effort to reach them. We're going out this Saturday into the community over at Chalmers and Outer Drive. We're going into that community with food and clothing to care for those people, and that is an intentional witness that the body of Christ is coming to your neighborhood to bless you. Amen? Who doesn't want to be a part of that, right? Who wants to be a part of that anyways, by the way? Oh, good. I'll see you here on Saturday. All right. Now, let's go into Evangelism 101. And if you would, please turn with me to this portion of Scripture. It's, it's written on your outline. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6. Let's dissect this verse. Paul is talking to Pastor Timothy, and he's encouraging him. He's edifying him, and he wants him to do the work of an evangelist. Ah, that would be a good key or a cue for us to find out what is this work of evangelism. Let's take a look. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. I'm going to stop right there. What kind of a charge do you think that is? Is it a suggestion? (laughs) This is an order direct from God. Would you agree? I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Okay, like that's the whole gospel right there. His death, resurrection, and his coming again. I'm charging you to do this in light of God commanding it. So he goes on. This is what he charges Timothy to do. I want you, verse 2, to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Sounds like he's describing the day we live in as well. He says, I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist. So what is the work of an evangelist? Well, I would imagine it was the charge that he just stated the verses before that. 
I charge you to do this, 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 and this. So be sober-minded and do the work of an evangelist. That's what it was, what he just told us. So let's break this verse down. Let's see, what is it that an evangelist does that Paul is telling him to do? You can fill in the blank. I put a nice little line right on your piece of paper so that you can write it so no one will fall asleep. What does he say to do? Preach the word. Why do we need to preach the word? Because as he goes on and he says that there are too many people out there with itching ears who want to hear all sorts of other things. And did you see how he says it? And they will draw preachers to themselves. The word of God is to draw people to the word. But when a preacher caters to the people, he draws himself to them. There's a problem in that. I met with someone this morning that told me of a conversation they had with a very large church, and I won't mention names. But the advice from the very large church was, you need to look for property at 35 Mile Road. Now, you just have to put the pieces together. Because why would I want to go to... Now, he wasn't talking to me, he was talking to the other pastor. But the other pastor was telling me the story. Why would you want to go out to 35 Mile Road? Because that's where the money is. And that's the mentality of where you build your church. You go where the money is. Right? Because, see... Uh, can I just tell, can I be straight with you? You see, because the, the old eight-mile road is now, the new eight-mile road is, was 696. Now the new eight-mile road is 16-mile. And so they, they don't want to come south because, you know, wow, that's kind of crazy. And so they're building their churches out there where everybody with the money's going. And that's the concept. That's the idea. And, and what's happening with that church following the people is the, is the people are drawing the pastors to themselves. Do you, do you want that? Paul said, you preach the word. The word will bring people to the, to the word, to God. And people will draw pastors to themselves. The people want to have a pastor that will give them the message they want to hear. Right? They, and they have itching ears. You can see them on TV. They'll preach messages and they'll be interviewed. Well, sir, uh, reverend, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? Well, uh, you know, I don't... Really? This man lobbed you a softball and, and you don't know what to do with it? On national TV? This is happening over and over. What is an evangelist supposed to do? Preach the Word. Nothing else. Preach the truth of God's Word because it's not being spoken out there. How many denominations are no longer preaching the Word concerning holy sexuality? How many are no longer preaching the Word concerning addictions, alcohol, drugs, anything else? Ah, thank God for the grace of God. Just do whatever you want to do. God's forgiving. Where's preaching the Word of God? Where is being a testimony to who He is? Amen? So an evangelist preaches the Word. The thing about an evangelist is he's straight. He's a straight shooter. She's a straight shooter. You give them the Word of God. Because, you know what, folks? There's all sorts of toys to play with. Games and word games and all this. There's only one gospel of Jesus Christ. 
we must preach the Word. When do we do it? In season and out of season. What does that mean, in season and out of season? That's another fancy way of saying all the time. I mean, if you talk to a farmer and say, you need to produce fruit in season and out of season, he's going to go, hmm, how do I do that? My, my fruit growing season's in the fall. Grow it in the spring too, right? So you get my drift. When he says in season and out of season, in other words, you have to be ready at all times. Well, I only evangelism when I have a sermon prepared. Seriously? That's not lifestyle evangelism. That's not living as a witness for Christ at all times. And how many of you know sometimes it's inconvenient to your schedule? Right? And evangelism, please, let me remind you again, evangelism is the witness of Jesus. All right? You may have the opportunity to tell them the gospel story, or you may only have the opportunity to love them like Jesus would love them. Right? And so you, someone may be in need, and you get out of your car, you're going somewhere, but you know that you're supposed to be in season and out of season. And so you go to help them, you care for them, you say, God bless you, I'm a Christian, that's why I do this. And tell them Jesus loves you. There's a witness right there, that's evangelism. All right, now, so what are we supposed to do? Preach the word. How often? Always. What is our goal? To reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Well, that doesn't sound too nice. But see, that's what truth does. You can speak the truth in love. You don't have to be harsh. You don't have to be hard. But if you will simply speak what is true, that word will reprove them. It will rebuke their, their lifestyle or their language. And it will exhort them and encourage them. God loves them. So the word of God will take care of itself. Have confidence in the word of God. Remember God said that it will not return void. Just plant it, care for it, give it. All gentleness, Peter says, but speak it. And that word, how many of you have ever had the word of God just rebuke you, reprove you, and exhort you? Right? And it didn't have to come from someone sweating and spitting on you. <laughs> Some nice little person said, you know, I think that's sin. The Word of God says this. And you're like, <laughs> cut you. All right? So our goal is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort because only truth can do this. Don't hand them what they don't need. They don't need another forgettable experience with another person they need an encounter with the living word of god and you are stewards of that word so give it to them how with complete patience and teaching or instruction people are clueless about the lord jesus about christianity so be patient with them. Help them understand. We have more opportunity now because there are so many people who have no idea what church, what Jesus is, what the Bible says. You know, it's funny. Now, I used to be able to preach about Noah and about Gideon and about this and that. Now, whenever I teach, I have to tell the story because half the people have never grown up with it. They don't know who Noah is. I told you about the 12-year-old who was riding his bike over here before Wednesday night service by the skate ramps where all the guys are skateboarding. And Greg said, Pastor Greg said, you know, we're going to go in and start church now. And he said, what's church? What do you do in a church? Clueless. 
No idea. Right? This is what we're talking about. So we have to, with patience and teaching, exhort, reprove, rebuke, teach them the Word of God. Why? For their benefit. This is for you. You're floundering. You're, you're in trouble. You've got trials and situations. Let me help you. I, oh, you don't believe in any of that? That's okay. But the love of God, God loves you. Can I share that with you? Let's be patient with them. Let's work with them. Let's give them the Word of God. And so what I want you to do is find this heart motivation behind it. He says, do the work of an evangelist. What is that work? Preach the Word. Why? Because the time's coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They've got itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Evolution's a very powerful myth, isn't it? As for you, be sober-minded. Be alert. Be, endure suffering. And do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry so that we can, with patience, do that. Now, what I want to share with you is a three, C3 heart of evangelism. Basically, it's three C's. I just took advantage of that and put it to, gave it to us. <laughs> there are three C's that lead the heart of an evangelist. And this is what I want you to know because what I want you to carry, what I want you to bear is these three C's to motivate you to evangelize. For some reason, we all tend to resist because we, we, we have a hard time you know, giving that to somebody else because of rejection or fear. The enemy plays up on that fear. If you'll gain this heart, these three C's, it will motivate you. The first one is the compassion of Christ. To have the compassion of Christ will motivate every one of us to preach the gospel. Let me share with you this portion of Scripture concerning Jesus in the book of Matthew. It said in Matthew 9.36, when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He was moved. There's a number of expressions in Scripture that talk about Jesus being moved with compassion. That, that sense of being moved with compassion is, is an emotional stirring in his soul that literally shakes him and moves him to his core. That's how Jesus feels about the lost. Do you know that as much as Jesus loves you, he loves the lost? The greatest love you could ever have for your children or your child, God has that love and more for the lost. He loves the world. Can you prove that to me? God so loved the world, He gave the Son. He so loved the world, He gave the Son. And for the joy set before Him, Christ endured the cross that He could bring this season, this time uh, of the gospel being open to whosoever will, that all might come to him and be saved. We need to have the compassion of Jesus. We need to be able to, to sit in a doctor's office and all of a sudden that compassion of Christ come on us and recognize that the people that we are sitting around may not know the Lord. They're suffering, they're hurting, they're dying. We need to have patience and care for them and, and approach people that maybe we wouldn't normally approach, but Jesus would. 
Jesus will go into the places that we won't. Sometimes the Christians get so afraid of sin, uh, like the Pharisees. The Pharisees actually believed that you could have sin come in you. So they had the ceremonial hand washings. They were afraid that if they touched anything unclean, they would become unclean. That's when Jesus had to say, it's not what goes in you that is unclean, it's what comes out of you. The Pharisees were mad because Jesus' disciples had uh, taken some wheat and spread the chaff from it and began eating. And they said, they have unclean hands. Well, their concept was something unclean is going to enter them and they'll be unacceptable to God. Well, sometimes we as Christians get that way. We see people, drug addicts, prostitutes, down and out, homosexuals, whoever are involved in all sorts of things, and we think, oh, bless God. Thank you, I'm not like they are. What's the heart of Jesus? Run to them. Speak to them. Call out to them. I, I, I love, uh, she's not here, but I love our sister, and I can't remember her name. <laughs> but we were on the prayer walk in Detroit, walking down Woodward last year. And here's the church walking down Woodward, praising, singing. It was a prayer watch. For the city, right? And the church is walking by and walking by and walking by. And uh, one of our, our folks saw some street guys watching the parade. It was your sister. Remind me. Huh? Lisa. It was Lisa. Yeah, don't say that part. I, I could hardly name anybody right now because it's a. But Lisa saw these street people. And as the stream of every, the church is praying for the city, everybody's walking by the homeless. And she got out of the prayer walk and went over to there, and she began witnessing to them, sharing them. A couple of the guys began to weep, began to cry. She led a couple of them to the Lord, and she prayed for them. There's the heart of Jesus. There's the heart of Jesus. Amen? So we have to have the heart of Jesus. Evangelism isn't about a good argument. It's about the compassion of Jesus. It's about the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I'm a prisoner of Christ. He said, I can't do anything but preach. I don't have a choice. The compulsion of God's Spirit is upon me. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, quoting Isaiah 60? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right? Look at folks, we're Pentecostals. We believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. If there's anything someone as a Pentecostal should be, they should have the compassion and the compulsion of the Holy Spirit to speak to anyone. Compelled by the very Spirit of Christ. Why is the Holy Spirit in us? Why is He with us? Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're a city on the hill. Why? So that you can win people for Christ. What is the Holy Spirit doing in us? And if we're not allowing Him to compel compel us to go to all nations and all people. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim. That's evangelism. To proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives. To the recovery of sight of the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Did you hear the word proclaim in there? A couple, three, four times. That's evangelism. To share who Christ is. To worship Christ 
the Lord and to declare His goodness. I have a compulsion that I have to do this. I can't get past this. How many of you believe in a second chance? I thank God for a second chance. I have passed by so many people and the Holy Spirit says, I told you. It's like, all right. And you go back that second time. Thank God for that. I thank God He's patient with us. Maybe it's the third tap or the fourth tap. Turn around and do what He tells you to do. You're under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. Last of all, we have the concern for judgment. The church has lost this. Why? Most modern theologians have eliminated hell so we don't have to worry about it. Just get rid of hell and we don't have to have any concern about someone going there so we don't have to witness. We should be motivated by this very concern. Look at, how many of you know John 3.16? If anybody held up John 3.18, it would throw the whole stadium. All the football players, everybody. They go, what? What? But John 3.18 is the key to John 3.16. Because John 3.18 says, Whosoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. We tend to forget that the entire human race is going to hell. Not the people who reject Jesus. The whole human race. We were condemned at the garden. Is anybody getting this? The human race was condemned at the garden. Christ came so that, as Paul would say, we could save some. So that we could declare this gospel and they could be saved from the destiny that the entire human race is moving towards. This should compel us, brothers and sisters. How many of you have ever heard of... uh, Penn and Teller. The magicians, right? How many of you know you've seen Penn? Right? He's the big guy. He is an atheist, and he is a ferocious atheist. He hates Christianity. Hates it. Dogs it. Makes fun of it. Mocks it constantly. And speaks against Christianity wherever he has a platform. But he, he has said one thing that's very fascinating to me. And he said this about you Christians. He said, if you really believed everyone was going to hell, I would expect you to do everything you could to tell me not to go there. He's got it right. He's got that right. And he sees the problem in the church standing on the outside of it. That if you folks really believed that all of mankind was judged and going to hell, you would do more. At least I would think you did with all the love you say you have. You would do more to compel me to consider this Jesus, though he rejects him. Wouldn't you make that, uh, I consider that a true statement. And so these three C's, compassion, compulsion, and concern for judgment. We should be so motivated to want to share this. And like I said, there are many modern theologians today who have many popular, popular pastors who are eliminating the concept of hell. And uh, this is a real problem for evangelism. And so we need to have these three C's. So what is the work of an evangelist? The work of an evangelist is to preach the Word. When? 
at all times, in season, out of season. Right? And what is our goal? Well, this word will rebuke, this word will reprove, this word will exhort. And what's the attitude we're to have when we preach it? Patience and instruction. Help them understand. Instruct them so that they understand. How are we to be moved by the compassion of Jesus? That we care for them. And secondly, by the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's in us, I can't do anything but desire to win the lost. And last of all, if I believe there's a hell, then everybody who doesn't know Jesus is going there. Do you believe that? I have to ask you this. And I'm asking you to consider that question in your own mind and heart. Do you believe that? That's a challenge to you and I. Because we're able to sometimes, because of the weight of that, we create a scenario where we can put it on the shelf. And I don't know if we can afford, they can afford us to do that. Now let me uh, end Evangelism 101 with this other concept because it gets pretty heavy when you consider all those people going to hell and the compulsion of the Holy Spirit and the compassion of Jesus. That's a burden to bear, isn't it? And again, evangelism is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to shift your mindset on it away from your best argument. Now, it's important to have a good argument. In the month of July, uh, on Wednesday nights, we're going to have our brother Bob Duco come and share on apologetics, how to have a good argument for Christianity. So he'll be instructing you in July, he'll be teaching you on how to present the gospel in a good way. We do have to have that, but let me remind you, a good argument is not what gets people saved, the Holy Spirit saves people. You need the good argument, don't get me wrong, but a good argument, well, it's like the the Holy Spirit playing an instrument that is well-tuned, right? And so let's remember that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And one thing the American church has failed to do is consider the biblical element of signs and wonders in evangelism. What we've done in our tradition and in our history, apart from the Great Awakenings, is made evangelism simply reasoned arguments. But, brothers and sisters, the job is too great and too big to be left to our ability. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And what you will find in the book of Acts, what you will find in the New Testament, is the New Testament tells us that signs and wonders were given to confirm the Word of God. We've developed signs and wonders to be, you know, used at our leisure and our pleasure for our needs. Signs and wonders were given to validate the preaching of the Word of God. So key to evangelism is signs and wonders. I have an old book here uh, from John Wimber. And uh, it's interesting because early on in this uh, school's history, Fuller Theological Seminary in California, they began teaching missionology, evangelism overseas. And so students would come to that, and it was called Class MC 510. And in class MC 510, the teacher was teaching on evangelism. 
and they had international students. And they were teaching on how to develop good evangelism, how to develop good strategies for winning a city, how to preach and develop good arguments, starting with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, looking at the archaeological evidence, looking at the uh, biblical proofs for the validity of the inspiration of Scripture, all good things that we should know. And they're at the finish of the course And a couple of the foreign students said, when are we going to talk about signs and wonders? And the teacher said, he was a cessationist, which means he believes that the signs stopped after the New Testament was canonized. No longer a need for signs and wonders because we have the Bible. I think there's still a need for signs and wonders, and I don't think we're that far off from what the early church had to contend with. But anyways, he said, well, we don't teach that here. What are you talking about? He says, well, in my village, whenever we plant a church, we go into the church city square and we call for prayer and we begin to pray for healing and people get healed and therefore they then come to our meetings. Hmm, That's an interesting concept. And another student from India said, that's what we do. God moves people get healed or a witch doctor gets delivered and people then respond to the power of God that does this so that they want to hear the word of the Lord that we have to preach. You see, but that's messy and sloppy. Sometimes it works the way we want, sometimes it doesn't. So for a lot of churches, if we eliminate that, we don't have failure. and We don't have to contend with the, the emotionalism and the move that it can create among people. We want order. God's not concerned so much about the order of the people, but the salvation of their souls. When someone gets healed, you don't need them to be in order. You need to let them rejoice. God set them free. If you'll remember what Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do what? Set the captives free. And so, interestingly, uh, the, the, one of the young teachers of that class was John Wimber. And John Wimber uh, began to consider what was happening around the world in churches of the Lord Jesus Christ where signs and wonders were still being used for the propagation of the gospel. And I would encourage you to pray for people. When you're evangelizing, when you're witnessing, pray for them. Hey, look, at if they get healed or they don't get healed, you just let God decide what to do. Let Him decide, all right? Let me share with you some theologians' points of view concerning signs and wonders. R.H. Fuller uh, declared this. He writes, The miracles of Jesus are part and parcel of His charismatic or preaching activity. In fact, the miracles are part of the proclamation itself quite as much as the spoken words of Jesus. F.F. Bruce, if you understand New Testament scholars, said, considering Jesus' healing ministry as an integral part of the message of Jesus. While the miracles served as signs, they were not performed in order to be signs. They were as much and part and parcel of Jesus' ministry as was His preaching, as seals affixed to a document to certify it was genuine. All right, Gerhard Friedrich said this, a German New Testament scholar, and he said concerning the uh, gospel is more than verbally communicating a rational content, the gospel should include the demonstration of power in ministry. 
Alan Richardson, a British New Testament scholar, said the connection between healing and salvation is a characteristic feature of the gospel tradition. Miracles of healing are, as it were, symbolic demonstrations of God's forgiveness in action. You see, it's a manifestation. Uh, Sozo is the word for salvation, and it doesn't just mean accepting Christ. It means deliverance. It means healing. It means well-being. And it means salvation. So what we want to do when we witness is have an expectation for God to do the rest. Let that happen. Pray the prayer. Okay? Work this and let it develop in your life. Don't you worry if, well, uh, they didn't get healed. I've prayed for a lot of people who don't get healed. A lot. And I've prayed for some who have. Now I think the ones who have appreciate that I kept going at it. Not me, but God. Right? So let's do that. And I have a feeling that with greater expectation and us uh, seeking the Lord to do this, we can see miraculous things result in that. And, and so, Jennifer, you went to see your brother-in-law, wasn't it? Yeah, and you went preaching the gospel, but also praying for healing. And what did you see? Healing. And so, did he come to the Lord? Okay. Amen. So I'm not just talking about something over in China. I'm talking about what's here. And so, I'm sure there's been people you've prayed for that have not been healed. It's both ways. But let's bring the gospel and let the gospel do the work. Let's bring the Word of God and let God do the work. All right? Don't you stop doing something because you think you don't have the power or the ability. Give it all to God and just testify to His goodness. Let me conclude with this tonight, shall I? That in Mark 16, verse 17, it says this about evangelism. These signs will accompany those who believe in My name. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. This is not a blanket promise for every believer. There are many missionaries who have been killed by deadly things. Right? And there are many who have tried to cast out demons and have not. It is a general statement of what God can and will do in believers' lives. But there is the Lord who is God over our lives. There are times God would allow us to die. Wait a minute, Pastor. Now you're messing with me. No, I'm not. God is the God of our lives. Right? There are a number of missionaries who are doing great work and great Christians doing good works that God allowed their time to be up on earth. He doesn't see death like we see it. Right? He rejoices at the death of his saints. Okay? He will decide what to do. You don't decide. Let him decide. So preach. Speak with new tongues. Cast out demons. Lay hands on the sick. Do everything he told you to do. And let him decide and be Lord of your life and Lord of the message. All we have to do is celebrate him. Amen? Amen. Are you with me? Let's move with an expectation of what God can do in our lives. Oh, I'm excited about that. I really am. I love to see people come to the Lord. I love to see people change their point of view. They begin to consider 
hmm, what has been spoken to them. You know the Word of God is going in. And I've seen people who don't know the Lord, don't accept the Lord, and they've still gotten healed from God. How about that? That's God's business. What He commanded us to do is to do the job of an evangelist. Preach the Word in season and out of season, right? So that it'll rebuke, exhort, and correct people, and we do it with patience. That's what God has commanded us to do. Who will be obedient to the Lord? Amen. Let's stand together and thank Him for that.